Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Matt Warren has taught general music and chorus classes for 13 years in the Webster Central School District, just outside of Rochester, New York. He earned a bachelor's and master's degree in music education from the Crane School of Music at SUNY Potsdam. As an advocate for using popular music in schools, Matt has been an active clinician in New York State and has presented at the NAFME National Conference in Grapevine, Texas. He recently served a term on the NAFME Council for Music Composition and wrote a curriculum unit for NAFME created through the Teaching with Primary Sources program of the Library of Congress. You can connect with him on social media at Matt Warren Music. He lives with his wife Maggie, also a music teacher, and their two kids Lucy, who's eight, and Patrick, who's four. It gives me a lot of pleasure to welcome Matt to our podcast. So Matt, it is absolutely great to welcome you to our episode uh, this week. I believe that I first met you back in 2013 up at the University of Rochester at a, at a popular music education conference that I think you put on. Is that right? Yeah, I was um, in charge of getting the uh, the conference presenters for that, and your name kept coming up with all the stuff you did at Teachers College. I think I actually had a, maybe one of, or two of your uh, former students on my list that may or may not have been there as well. I don't really know. but uh, I think Joe like, Abramo was there. I, okay, I yes. Yeah. He was, and um, I, I just remember seeing your name pop up a lot, and so we uh, we had you come on, and it was uh, I, I loved that conference. We did one that in 2013, and another one the following year in 2014, and I got some really good stuff from it. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really it, it was one of the very first times I had ever spoken about non-music technology, but but a, a whole new kind of track. And and back in 2013, that's the early days. I know that there's now AppMe and now, finally, NAFME is kind of embracing this concept, but I think you guys were the trailblazers, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember having been to a conference earlier than that on, on the topic. Right, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to put that together. I had been working with uh, John Kovach at the University of Rochester. I had taken his class over the summer and done a couple things. I actually worked with his wife um, in the district where I teach. Uh, she was there. Uh, we started the same time, and um, just kind of, it was one of the passions of mine that you know, integrating popular music all kind of throughout my curriculum. And so when we started putting that together, it's like really when I was trying to figure out how I was going to add performance stuff and add composition stuff to my, you know, just kind of survey stuff. There was there was some of that out there. And then now you look at, like you said, the NAFME or NISMA um, conference schedules and there's pop music stuff going on all over the place and and non-traditional ensembles or whatever you want to call it that's not my favorite term but you know whatever it's uh, uh, emerging ensembles is what a lot of people are calling that kind of stuff now and I'm like well they're 50 or 60 years old how emerging are they but you know whatever it's different conversation for a different well, I, podcast I, I think that they should all tip their hat to the work that you did with John and uh, I, I I don't recall anyway 
fabulous topic, and I'm sure that, uh, that that's a topic for another podcast altogether. But so you're up in Webster. Um, that's right outside of Rochester, correct? Yeah, we're uh, just uh, east of Rochester in one of the suburbs up there. And and I the other thing that I learned about you, Matt, is that you run a uh, a fan blog for uh, the Buffalo Area Sports Team, the SB Nation. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Because I love the side hustle. I love I love hearing what people do outside of the classroom. Right. So I grew up in the middle of the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl runs, and so uh, I've always been a big fan of the Buffalo Bills. Right. And I'm from Western New York, and um, when I got out of college, I was just looking for ways to get information. And this was. Um, what's the right way to say this? This was before internet moderation was a big deal. And so you went to the Buffalo Bills website and it was just kind of a you know festering cesspool of yeah. people being mean to each other and jerk faces and all that other stuff. And so um, I went looking for something else and I found this uh, blog run by another guy who was about my age. And uh, you know, there was a really nice comment section where we could have good conversations. And so I joined up there, I think in 2009, it's been 10 years now and uh, just kind of started writing for them, doing podcast stuff, doing videos and kind of Jack of all trades kind of thing. And now, um, now I'm actually the uh, managing editor of the site. So I kind of oversee all the day-to-day stuff and, you know, I have my own podcast and all that other stuff, but we, we have a lot of fun over at Buffalo rumblings and it's, it's really nice uh what's the right uh, platform for the writing and, and kind of everything else. It's nice that they kind of take care of all that stuff and we can just kind of worry about the content and interacting with other Buffalo Bills fans. Yeah, it's, it's great that you can apply your uh, skills that you use in your classes to something that you love. I mean, I'm, oh, yeah. a, I'm a fanatic, uh, uh, you know, New York Yankees fan and unfortunately the Jets, which I'm sure you'll commiserate with me, but uh, <laughs> it's cool that you can, you can apply those skills outside of your teaching. I think oh, yeah. everybody would, uh, degree. So anyway, Matt, it's fabulous to have you. Uh, And so I'd like to dive into uh, the questions that I've been asking all of these fabulous music educators who have been guests. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about your program? I I understand that you're in a middle school and a high school, Spry Middle School, Schrader High School. Um, Why don't you tell us about your music program, how many students you see, uh, like your teaching responsibilities? Uh, Sure. I am. Well, when I first was hired, uh, whatever, 12 or 13 years ago, I was doing all middle school general music and chorus. um, And they added the chorus to the job posting before I applied because they didn't think anybody would apply if it was just a middle school general music job. And that was kind of one of the things that I loved when I was in um, high school, when I was in college uh, and when I was getting my master's was general music and, you know, reaching those kids. And I just, it's something I've really liked all along the way. And, and so that's kind of when I, installed that uh, popular music curriculum there and then started adding to it as, you know, I got more into my career. Um, and of course I've done chorus the entire time, middle school chorus, all, all different levels, just boys, just girls, mixed choruses, all that stuff. Um, five or six years ago, uh, after the pop music conference that we talked about before, I started getting really interested in how I could develop a high school class around some of that stuff. Um, just kind of as an extension of what I was doing in eighth grade general music. And um, really this is, I mean, why I'm interested in technology at all is just because I really wanted to, uh, the the tools that are available to to music technology folks that I can use for my pop music applications are just, I mean, they're out of this world. And so I saw what people were doing at conferences, whether it was at the University of Rochester conference or the New York state conferences and things like that. And I just wanted to start integrating some of that into my curriculum 
And so we developed this high school um, music technology class that's mostly composition based, but we do, you know, pop music listening and things like that, because, you know, in order to create songs like that, you have to understand what goes into them. And so it, it's just really kind of this culmination of all of my interests that I've developed over the last 15, 20 years into this class. And I just, it's, it's why I've been really diving into a lot of things that I'm really uncomfortable with, like, um, you know, DJing and like using turntables and stuff like that. Like I didn't grow up on that style of music. And so that's kind of where I dipped my toe into this music technology thing. Well, uh, so you and I are kindred spirit, my friend. I, I, <laughs> I, I went into middle school general music. The one thing uh, I did middle school general music, kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wanted to be a band director. And uh, what I found with uh, the middle school general music was that technology was just a natural fit. They loved it. I just wondered, you know, um, you know, the types of things that you're doing with your middle school kids, specifically, and your high school. I, I love the, the idea around composition and an emerging popular music and composition. Um, what, what, so my question to you and everybody listening, I'm, I'm hoping we'll, we'll get something out of this. It, it's cool to do that kind of stuff with middle school kids, right? They, they want to do composition in high school kids. Yeah. I mean, so right now with my eighth grade general music kids, we're doing, uh, we just finished a unit on the 1970s and we were doing uh, 70s bass lines. So I've got a drum beat going through Soundation on the, um, on the speakers in the classroom and they've all got headphones on at their keyboards and they're improvising these little bass lines after we listen to like chic good times and uh, I want you back from, you know, Jack's five and all that stuff. Right. So, and so then they're sitting there like, okay, there's some notes that are repeating. There's some notes that are moving all over the place. Like how do we have to line this up? And they really like that stuff. And, and I think the next thing we're doing is like drum beat stuff. And we used to do that on iPads back in the day on garage band, you know, with the yeah. little drum kits. Like um, we do it on the keyboards now just because, we don't really service the iPads anymore now that we're all Chromebooks in my district. But uh, so we do it on the, the computer keyboards using the uh, like the 808 kits and all that other stuff. So that's fun. But no, those kids really like the pop music stuff. We play guitars, we play keyboards, we do the drum stuff and the baseline stuff as kind of these mini units in eighth grade. But um, the pop music stuff is our entire eighth grade general music curriculum. In sixth and seventh grade, we kind of go through the history of uh, that Western canon that we've all grown accustomed to over the years. So can you, just for everybody, can you describe what your middle school general music and high school music uh, technology, what, what that room looks like? Sure. Um, the general music room at the middle school is, um, it's about 25 kids, 20 kids, depending on the class. And we have uh, baritone ukuleles for the sixth and seventh graders, um, cool. acoustic guitars for the eighth graders, and then keyboards for all of them. When we go into the high school, a lot of my high school kids are former students from the middle school. And so I try to make it a different class for them. Uh, it's, we have two high schools in our district and the other high school, it's almost the exact opposite. It's all the kids that have taken like music theory that want another class. Now they're taking this music technology class. So we have it, that high school class is pretty varied and it can be very different kid to kid, which is really awesome that we can differentiate it like that. But we, we have a, um, a MIDI lab set up at both high schools with, uh, I think it's 20, 20 stations uh, or 25 stations, depending on the year and uh, you know, MIDI keyboards with you know, headphones and microphones and you know, just a desktop computer. But the kids also have their, their Chromebooks and they used a lot of the cloud-based um, cloud tools that Music First has. And so just, just, uh, just out of curiosity, are you doing any type of technology stuff with your middle school choirs or is it primarily through these two 
uh, you know, the general music side of things? I haven't done anything with my middle school choirs yet. Uh, it's something that I'm planning on doing in the very near future. We, um, we have some turnover coming in our district with some folks aging out of positions and retiring. And so I'm hoping that when we get some new folks in there, we can kind of start focusing on that. Um, I spent the first, I don't know, eight years of my career kind of going through and getting that eighth grade general music curriculum where I wanted it. And then the last four years since we started the high school class, I've been working with that almost every summer uh, with you know multiple other teachers trying to finagle that into the curriculum that I really liked. And so I think that the, the next step would definitely be integrating a lot of that, those technology tools, but also other kind of musicality stuff with the, the choruses. So it's not just a singing class, it's a music class. Yeah, that's really interesting, Matt. I think that, um, you know, a lot of people who uh, are ensemble directors, you know, especially in, in, in a kind of a Chromebook setting are always looking for ways to integrate uh, technology. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be interesting to follow up and, and see how that works. Um, so I'd love to get an idea. I mean, I know you went to Crane School of Music. I was actually just up there uh, last week. Fabulous school. And I just wanted to know how you got interested in technology. Uh, what, I mean, what is your, what's your major instrument? And, and, and perhaps did that have anything to do with your interest in technology? Well, I was a, a voice major at Potsdam uh, and did all that stuff. My interest in technology really, I mean, I, I didn't take a technology class at Crane until I was getting my master's there. And so it, it just, it wasn't something that I was doing a lot of, but I saw that there's this nice MIDI lab up there connected right to the library. And I always saw people in there doing stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. So I took that to when I was getting my master's and really just to understand things like MIDI. And I mean, I remember the first couple of weeks of the class were just like, okay, here's how you set it up when something happens or like, or uh, like how you set it up from the ground up. And we don't even do that stuff anymore. Like, you know, have the line in line out all that stuff. Now it's all just USB, but exactly. um, or at least in my lab it is, but it's, um, that was one of the reasons that I took that class is so that I could start learning about the music technology aspect that was coming out. Now I was, I graduated in 2005 with my undergrad in 2006 with my master's. And so, I mean, a lot of, of course it was prevalent everywhere, but it's just, it's so much more um, ubiquitous now it's everywhere now. And I was able to, you know, start composing songs and writing things. And, and the, the real draw for me then as it is now is that you can get some really great results without having to, you know, hire five people or get six people in a room and record something, you know, you can do everything kind of on your own or, you know, split up into different parts and record it at different times and then mix it all together. And, and that's just really appealing for somebody that's always busy, like music teachers. And, and so that was, or music students in my case at that time. And, and so just being able to kind of craft things that I knew I couldn't do on my own. I knew I couldn't go in and play the drums or go in and play I'm not a very good pianist, so I knew I couldn't play a lot of like piano accompaniments, but if I can go in and play it into MIDI and then, you know, edit those mistakes yeah. or take out mistakes and you know, re-record a section, something like that, like that was all very appealing to me and still is to this day. Yeah. So I, by the way, just incidentally, was it Scott Levine or Peter McCoy or both that were your teacher? Uh, Dr. Levine was my teacher. I never had Dr. McCoy, but he yeah. and I have become friends over the years. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love I love Scott, uh, and uh, I know that he's retired now. But what a what a huge impact he's made on many many music educators. Oh yeah, uh, and as well as Dr. McCoy, he's a fabulous fabulous teacher. So yeah, all that is. And so, were you using? I mean, you're saying 2005, 2006. So GarageBand came out in 2004. 
Was it mostly GarageBand that you were in, introduced to, or were there other programs like notation programs or other DAWs? Well, we were certainly using notation programs. I mean, in music school, that's, you know, kind of second nature that you're, instead of writing it down, you're using the notation programs. And that's a lot of what I was using. I actually don't remember what programs we were using, but it was, it was a Mac lab. So GarageBand or Logic probably wouldn't surprise me. I'm assuming it was Logic at the time, but I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when I, when I first saw GarageBand, it, it was actually the biggest change in my teaching because it was a very, very simple, but extremely powerful program that you didn't need all that extraneous equipment plugged into your computer. Mm -hmm. I will never forget plugging in a little mobile pre-USB uh, audio interface that was like 150 bucks, you know, via USB into my laptop. Um, it was a earth, earth shattering, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, just an absolute incredible change and i know that what you were talking about where you didn't have to get all this equipment and all these people into and go into a recording studio i think it just eliminated so many barriers for music educators and it i think i always credit that program specifically as, as the thing that, that made a big shift in terms of music educators willingness um to start you know doing kind of creative projects the notation's always been there like you said but the uh the GarageBand for me was like uh, the, the ultimate Swiss Army knife uh, software tool for my students. And so do you used it, obviously, with, uh, with your students in, in your current position, right? We used uh, GarageBand for a little while, uh, but it was just on one iPad cart in my building. At, oh, okay. And that was actually at the middle school. Um, as I was developing like composition projects for them, we were doing it um, on the, uh, the iPads at school. Um, but then, like I said, a couple of years ago, we went all Chromebooks. And um, so we haven't really had that opportunity. That's also the same time we switched over to using the music first tools just because of you know, uh, the cloud-based stuff. Yeah. So it's the, it's the Chromebooks that made the switch. Yeah, pretty much. And like I said, it was, it was a cart that was shared throughout all of the entire arts department. And so, or not, did I say Chromebook? I don't remember, but um, it was an iPad cart that was shared through all of the, the arts department. And so I didn't have access to it every single day. I would have to sign it out and right. you know jump through those hoops. And and as you, I'm, I'm sure know, it wasn't exactly private because they're sharing, you know, iPads the entire class. So I had to do something that was like fully self-contained in one class, so that I wouldn't have to go through like you know sign because they weren't signing in to the iPads. It was just like a guest account on the iPad yeah. and all that yeah. other stuff. Yeah. So yeah, what I was saying with the Chromebooks is that you you so you started with iPads and mm -hmm. then once once the Chromebook kind of adoption happened which is fairly recent correct is that the last couple of years yeah i think it's the last two or three years i can't remember exactly yeah so um yeah that i mean you mentioned uh foundation so i i think that you've been using music first you're one of our oldest customers um I, you know, about you've been using it for about four years five years yeah this is our fourth year using uh, music first we sounded with we started with just foundation and then uh switched over to the music first classroom my second year which was uh, three years ago. I actually have a student in my class this year who's a senior who took it as a freshman. Oh, and, wow. and I asked her if she recognized the class and she's like, well, there's two things that are the same and that's about it. So like, it's just, it's a lot of things that have grown and evolved over the last four years, but that's kind of how I wrap my head around it is that I know she was in my first class and I know she's in this class. Oh, she right. was a freshman and a senior. So it's been four years. <laughs> oh, very cool. So uh, aside from, are you still, so using the classroom and foundation or using any other software? We haven't been using any of the other software. Um, like I said, I'm only teaching the, the music composition stuff right now. I'm not teaching like AP, like music theory or things right. like that. And, right. and I haven't really dove into like O generator or things like that yet. Um, just because we've been using the digital audio workstation more than Got anything it. else. Got it. So 
Yeah, I mean, to me, the idea of a Chromebook, which is like a, a netbook, I'm sure you remember those things. They were like basically <laughs> doorstops or, or almost like pagers. Um, the uh, the uh, Chromebooks have really changed the kind of approach. Um, and, it, you know, unlike in the past where you'd be like, well, I'm a music teacher, so I want, you know, I therefore I'm going to get a Mac lab. You know, now that schools are saying, no, we're buying every single kid one of these devices, my own daughter, uh, my younger daughter, who's a freshman in high school, uh, they've implemented a one-to-one. -one. Are you one-to-one -one in the district or is it, um, is, it, is it more of a cart type thing? Yeah, it's one-to-one -one in the district. I think it's everybody above, it's third or fourth grade has one. Oh, and then okay. the elementary classrooms all have, I think, it's, I think it's still iPad carts in every single classroom, but that's with the younger grades. Totally makes sense. And, and to me, it's not, it's not surprising at all that schools have switched uh, because it's just so much more affordable. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually more affordable than, than buying and maintaining a huge computer lab. So uh, it's not surprising, but it does pose some serious challenges uh, for, for specifically for music educators who want to do high-end stuff with things like Pro Tools, Logic. And in, in, that, in that situation, I guess, I'm guessing at your high school, they're not doing that kind of, they're not learning on Chromebooks at the high school. Well, they're doing a little bit of both. So I said we had an, a complete MIDI lab at the high school. So they right. have desktop computers and we can install programs and things like that. But our district has been uh, reluctant to do that. Uh, both of the teachers uh, that have taught the class in my district are traveling. So I, like I said, I start my day at the high school and then I'm at the middle school for the rest of the day. So if a kid wanted to come work in the MIDI lab, I'm not going to be there to let them in or supervise them or anything like that. So a lot of what they're doing outside of the classroom is on their Chromebooks. And so I try to get them to do as much as they can using the MIDI keyboards and the, you know, the software while we're in there, especially because it's so much faster to work on the wired connection with the, uh, the computers Absolutely. Uh, doing the MIDI stuff as opposed to trying to stream it all at the same time. Like I had a kid with like 15 MIDI tracks trying to do some remix of, I can't remember what song it was. And he's like, it keeps slowing down. I'm like, well, <laughs> like you've got well, 15 mini tracks. It's not going to work. Like, <laughs> so um, Matt, I'm, I'm, it's, it's really fantastic to hear about all this, but I think what our, our listeners would love to hear is just give us an overview of some of the types of projects or activities that you're doing um, uh, with your student. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, the seventies baseline, but maybe you can uh, share some other, other types of projects that you're doing with both the middle school and the high school. Cause it's a, it's an interesting position you have being able to teach both levels and mm. kind of in, in a way you might have seven years with a student. Uh, anyway, uh, so why don't you go over some of the projects that you're doing? I'd love to hear about them. Sure. In, uh, I'm not teaching sixth and seventh grade general music right now, but those are our, um, it's just kind of Western art music stuff and they're learning basics of keyboarding. And I said the baritone ukuleles before when they get to me in eighth grade, uh, we do the history of American pop music. And so each during each unit during the folk song or the, the early American folk music, um, the early um, African American styles of music all the way up through like pre rock and rock and roll. Uh, and then we get, you know, do an entire thing about the sixties and the seventies and then kind of everything that's happened since 1980. But during each of those units, we're doing at least two or three performance pieces on the guitar or the keyboards, or in this case, bass lines and, and drum parts for the later stuff. And then we're also doing a composition unit for each of them as well. So just learning how to write lyrics or, you know, learning about chord progressions during the blues unit and you know, writing with chord tones and things like that. Um, also, we do um, just kind of making up some accompaniments and 
improvising accompaniments on the keyboards and on the guitar. Like you don't want to just want to like strum quarter notes the whole time on the guitars. Right. Like we want to make sure we're doing something that sounds interesting too. But we start with the basic four quarter notes on, on a strumming pattern. Um, and then of course we build to build, keep building and building over the eighth grade year so that when they get to my high school class, if they continue through the program, they understand kind of all of those concepts. They know how to build an entire accompaniment using a drum part, a bass part, um, a guitar part and a keyboard part all the way through because we've done that in eighth grade general music. So it's kind of building to this culminating thing where they can put together an entire thing using digital audio workstation software up at the high school. And so in the high school, we've got lots of different projects as well. And, and most of them are based on composition, but it's just really a backbone. Like we're listening to, to pieces that are relevant to what we're discussing and, you know, we're composing, we're also listening to other people's stuff and giving feedback and, and going through that entire creative process. And so it's just a really nice way to do this. We start with just recreating some pop songs. Like we take uh, Katy Perry's Roar and just, you know, redo the entire accompaniment to it. So they learn how to record using Soundation. And then um, going from there, we do um, other different types of, of projects. Like we record a podcast because it's just audio, like you're recording audio yep. and you're talking about something that you've been analyzing in class or on your own. But the real reason of it's like the stepping stone between not knowing how to record audio and recording audio. It's like the most basic yeah. way you can do it. And then um, I think we did a children's book too, where they're adding some sound effects in there. Oh, that's um, great. After they're recording the, the children's book. And then during that entire time, we're also learning about like music theory and tonality so that the next thing they can do is start recording um, some movie music stuff. We do um, a, a quick 30 second movie music composition where they're trying to just establish a mood within 30 seconds it's not you know it's not anything grand or things like that and i try to give scaffolding and so like some kids are doing a final project right now where it's like a two minute movie music clip but we did that 30 second one back you know at the beginning of the year we do uh, remix projects sample projects we write our own rap songs and and create our own beats to go along with the raps and and then for that final project i really just i'm like this is a music tech class if you want to do something with music tech do whatever you want and then we'll figure out how to grade it later like so i've got a kid doing a dj project i've got kids doing samples of their own stuff um you know remixes all the, i mean really anything they want to do uh, is is with this final project and then we put together a portfolio at the end of the year with um just all the stuff that they've done throughout the year so they could really just kind of show it to somebody and be like this is what i can do but i it's it's important to note that it's the music technology piece and i i know you believe this too because of the name of your company but it, it, the music technology is a means to an end. It's not like what we're teaching in that class. And, and so that portfolio gives them a chance to share it with people and get feedback and make it better and just go through the entire creative process. You know, we're not putting pictures of the digital audio workstation on there. We're putting music on there. And I yeah. think that's so important. Oh, you, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. That's why <laughs> I called it music first. It's, it is my philosophy and as short a term as I can possibly I mean, really, these are just tools to, mm -hmm. um, for the kids to create music with. And really, honestly, if there's a better tool that doesn't plug in, I'm all over it. It's just a, a means to an end to, get, to give kids creative opportunities. I think it's, I love the idea, Matt, that you're giving them what some would call a capstone project. I would call it like an independent study where the students are saying, I'm going to make this, you, you, you kind of workshop it with them to make sure, all right, these are the parameters. And then they go and they work on something that they're very interested in. Um, you've been teaching long enough now that you have some students who are probably in their twenties. 
um, the students that I have who are in their 20s that I had back in the day are now, they're, of all the, you know, a lot of music teachers, you, you don't go into teaching music to produce professional musicians, or at least I certainly did. That was not my goal. Um, but I have probably a half dozen kids who are making their entire living DJing. Uh, they wow. were in my band program, they were in my school of rock program, and now they're, they're DJing and they're really successful at it. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that the opportunities that you're giving your students, I'm a little older than you, but I, I, I am imagining that in, in a couple of years, you're going to hear, you know, your, your students will come back and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing at this club in downtown Rochester or Buffalo. Why don't you come and, why don't you come and see my gig? Uh, cause it's, it's, it's great. I, I love what you're doing, Matt. Um, so quick question, because you mentioned the performance side of things and, you know, the, the baritone ukuleles and guitars and all that kind of stuff. Are, is that only in the eighth grade or did, does that kind of uh, creep its way into the high school as well? Well, it's starting to. Like I said, it's the fourth year we're teaching this class. And the, the more I get into it, the more I realize that they're not doing a whole lot of performance. Even the kids that are using the digital audio workstation software, they're clicking in a lot of their stuff because they don't feel comfortable enough on the keyboards. And so one of the things I made it a point to do this year, and if you're on any of the, um, the, the music technology Facebook groups, things like that, you keep seeing me asking about all these different hardware things that I want to keep buying. So um, I, I've been interested in buying like some drum, uh, drum stuff or, you know, just kind of um, guitar things and, and stuff so we can add, start adding more of the performance stuff to that high school class. And I think mm -hmm. that's where we're going. Um, so I've been doing a lot of research on that over the last couple of years, just because it's become really a lot about responding to music, a lot about composing music and creating music, but not really a lot about performing music. And I want to start adding that back in. It's almost like the reverse of what I did in the, the general music curriculum when I was developing that. It started as listening and responding. And then we added all this performance stuff. And then I added the kind of the composition stuff at the end. And then we started the middle schools or the high school curriculum with composition. Then we added the resp and responding and now we're starting to add the performance back in. So it's really starting to become that kind of all around course that we want it to be. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you basically uh, said exactly what I was gonna ask about the, the listen and respond, the perform and the create, which I think are the three um, kind of pillars of, of uh, modern music education is, is trying to re achieve some type of equilibrium between those three. Because uh, on, on previous uh, previous episode of this podcast series, I interviewed Brad Fuller from Australia uh, and his program. It, it's interesting. He is all about the performance um, and, and kind of dive right in, getting kids instruments in their hand to be, and performing rock bands. Uh, and the technology is a means of actually delivering the curriculum. Um, and then people like some of my heroes, Jamie Knight, who is out in uh, California, Bill Evans in Maryland, who are, who have created these um, kind of performance, uh, specifically pop music performance extravaganzas. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you know of them. They, they have these incredible performances uh, where they have a theme of like, you know, disco. And then all the kids who are in their music technology classes are performing uh, on a very high level. Um, and so, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see, Matt, over the course of your career. And I, I, I thoroughly uh, I can't wait to see what, what, what progresses in the years ahead for you. Um, it, getting, you know, getting more of a performance element in a music tech thing, which is always, it's the last thing you think about. You know, you're always like kids with computer screens and buttons pushing. 
Um, but yeah, that performance aspect, I love that you're doing it in, in eighth grade. And I, I'm pretty confident that you're going to, it'll become more and more prevalent in your uh, high school program. I, I hope so. And I, I was uh, writing curriculum for NAFME uh, this year and Richard Maxwell is a guy that was writing the curriculum with me and he works out in Arizona and he was explaining at the kind of when we were kind of sitting around together, getting to know each other at the beginning. And he's like, yeah, we do this like big performance spectacular where they do a halftime show. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. What do you mean a halftime show? He's like, well, we start at the sideline. We have all of our stuff in on the racks and, you know, carts and everything like that. And they have, you know, this amount of time to go set it up, do the performance, tear it down and get it off the field. And I'm like, you do it from like for from the sidelines to get it on the field and get it off. He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's, that sounds Wait, awesome. Is that during an actual football game? Uh, well, I don't know if the actual performance is during a football game or not. My brain but... would explode. <laughs> if, that, if, that's, if that's the reality that instead of doing a marching band performance, they actually do like a Super Bowl style right. you know, kind of commando, set up the gear, perform, and then get it all out. That would be incredible. Yeah, I'll get you in touch with him. He's uh, he's he's a very interesting guy. Awesome, fantastic. All right, so Matt, we're we're kind of running short on time, and I could talk to you all all morning. Um, I just so I the the two questions that I ask of every guest. Um, the first one is, uh, what advice would you give to other music teachers uh, who are thinking of integrating technology into their curriculum, no matter what they teach? Uh, what advice would you give? Yeah, the I know a lot of your guests have said this before, but just don't be afraid to try stuff because you are definitely going to fail and it's going to sound and look absolutely miserable. Um, whether it's, you know, you're not being able to figure out a setting on this new piece of technology or software that you have, um, you know, just something going horribly wrong during a class. It, it just happens all the time. I, I talked about the student that was in my freshman class and or my class four years ago and now is a senior in my class. And that's probably the biggest difference for her is that I actually know what I'm doing. And yeah. so like just, just learning on the job and like you, it gets really messy when you're doing that sometimes. And you, you might not want to do that say in front of your middle school, eighth grade men's chorus or something like that, but you know, doing it in front of kids that you might have a little bit of leeway with. And that's one of the things I was able to do one year is that I just tried a whole bunch of things with this one class. Cause there was only 10 kids in this eighth grade general music class and they were flying through everything else. And so we would have 15 minutes left at the end of each class because they got through it so much faster than the other ones. And so we would just try stuff. And that's where a lot of my composition projects came from and how I kind of fine tuned and, and honed them because you know, they, it didn't work with them or it worked really well with them. And then I could see like the next steps and things like that. So just trying stuff and knowing that it's probably going to fail, but being okay with yourself to actually do that is, is the biggest advice I can give for the technology folks and, and asking questions. I was talking about the Facebook group. I have no idea how to hook up, you know, a DJ turntable to a computer and actually use that thing. So asking somebody, for help on that is like, I just, I have to do that. And then of course I'm going to dive into it and spend hours doing it myself before I even get it in front of a kid. And then I'm probably going to do it wrong in front of them and they'll tell me how to do it later, but you know, whatever, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, Matt, you, and I probably have said this with previous guests when they said the same thing, but I'll, I'll say it again because it bears repeating. Um, the being comfortable with failure um, is not something music educators are well-trained to do. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. we're, we're kind of always striving for perfection and with our ensemble teaching. And because most of us came up through the ensemble system and we went into college in the ensemble with, you know, whether it be choir or, or band or orchestra or whatever the ensemble is always striving for perfection. But when you get into the general music setting, specifically with technology, 
you're right. You are going to fail. It's not a question of if, it's, it's a question of how many times a week you know, <laughs> you're going to fail. And I think that it's a combination of the vulnerability that the students see that, you're, that you are failing and the way that you react to that failure. I think the kids totally are tuned in. They're watching you. So when something goes wrong, like I've had software crash in the middle of a presentation with 500 people in the room. <laughs> and, 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 and the thing is that it humanizes, uh, it humanizes me. It's, it's a kind of a funny moment. It's certainly embarrassing. I don't feel good. I'm like, oh, I wish that happened every time. But I, I do think that students, um, they, they actually, it endears you to them because they know what it's like to fail pretty much every day. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that, um, and, and it's just getting comfortable with that uh, bit. You know, I, I'll, if any of my graduate students are listening to this, you'll just have to forgive me for it. But Matt, I'm sure you would agree. My, my students ask me really difficult questions about specific pieces of software. So right now I'm teaching logic, logic pro X uh, to my graduate students. And they'll be like, oh, how can I program a filter suite to do this when I, when I wanted to do this? And is it possible to cut up a clip in Ableton so that, and, and you know what my answer is? Because I, I would say that seven times out of 10, I don't know the answer. And, and even though I'm, I call myself a, a technology expert and I would imagine that you, you, know, you consider yourself, I'm actually not only the music expert, but I'm the technology expert. What I do, and I don't know if you do the same, Matt, is I'll always say, does anyone else know how to do that? Right, because it's not me saying, actually, I have no clue. All right, so be, I, I usually say, so before I answer that question for you, which would be the easy way out, are there any other students that have figured a way out around this challenge, right? This is what I say to my graduate students on a weekly <laughs> basis. By the way, in my opinion, it's perfect pedagogy. You're just saying, oh, yeah. I'm not going to tell you the answer. That's the, easy, that's the easy way. So can anyone else? And usually my students are like, I have no idea. So I said, all right, so if, you, if I wasn't here, let's pretend that I wasn't in the room and I wasn't here, how would you go find that out? And then the one of the students, oh, well, I'd go to the help menu. Okay, well, let's do that. What search terms would we use? And, and even though I literally have no clue what the answer is, I go through the process of finding out. And then the students don't ask me the questions anymore because they, they go and figure it out on their own. Have you ever had that happen where you're just like, I have no clue what the answer is? Oh, heck yeah. We were trying to do, a, um, we were listening to, uh, I think it was Hello by Adele. And she did this really cool underwater drum in the second verse or whatever. Okay. And my students were like, how do you get that effect? And I'm like, I have no idea. I've never tried to do that before. And the next day a kid came in and showed the whole class how to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Like I just it, things like that happen to me all the time. And I get students that try things that I would never even think to try. And it's so much fun and they can teach each other and themselves so much, but that especially with the, the tools that are available to everybody now, whether it's YouTube and just trying to you know figure out how to, I keep coming back to the DJ thing because it's where I'm most insecure right now. But like, you know, just, there's YouTube videos out there for so many things. And, and you're talking about specific stuff inside of software programs. Like kids don't know, like they never had to look in the back of the book for the index anymore. Like they could search terms. Like it takes two seconds. Like the, this is easy now. We can find the answer to these questions, but doing it in front of the class is a great idea. I think I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. I, and I'm sure you've seen the UDJ site, the U.DJ, I think is the name. Yeah, absolutely. I, so that's like, for example, I don't know anything about DJing. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm totally out of it. Um, I, I, you know, I know what DJs do, but I have no clue what I, you know, when I see Serato and I look at it, I'm like, I've no, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. So in a, in a case like that, what my recommendation, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would agree is have the students try it out and then say, here's a project. 
I'd like you to make a tutorial video on how to get started with you, you, know, you DJ. People may, you know, people might think that's ridiculous. I think it's a perfect activity for the students to do because they get agency out of it. They love to be the expert. I'm sure that student that you mentioned, uh, you know, with the underwater drum effect, they were thrilled with the opportunity to stand up in front of their class and say, this is how you do it. They get your kind of, you know, hey, thumbs up, pat on the back. But the kids are like, wow, how'd you figure that out? Yeah, and the, it really did motivate the rest of them to to up their game because they kept hearing that he was using all the effects, and this is in uh, Soundation, right. like that he was using all these different types of effects on his tracks that nobody else was doing, and they're like, oh, well, mine sounds so basic now compared to his, and it really right. did up the game for everybody because we do listen to everybody's projects in front of the entire class as part of the compositional process and you know getting feedback and giving feedback and all that other stuff. So it really did up the game of the whole class. Awesome. All right, Matt. Well, uh, so my, my last question, which is a question I ask for everyone, is the magic wand question. And it doesn't have to be about foundation or, or, or it could just be about technology in general. Um, if you could change one thing uh, about music technology, what would it be if you want to see like the ultimate new feature to anything? Mm -hmm. the, and I know this is getting better, but I, my, our grading aspects don't talk to each other in the multiple programs and multiple learning management systems I use. I think mm -hmm. we're on a, still on Infinite Campus and eventually we'll transition to Google just because everything's going that way, at least in our world at my school. But, yep. you know, just being able to, to grade stuff in music first and have it talk to all these other platforms, it, it just doesn't always work for me because of I know it works with Google, um, if I'm not mistaken, but right, like does. I said, I, I would have to take it out of Google anyways to, to right. put it in Infinite Campus, so I can't do that. And that's that's kind of my biggest, like, um, I don't know, that, the paperwork thing. And um, it, the magic wand for the rest of it is just like being able to get your hands on stuff and, and use it on, you know, a consistent basis is is not always easy. There's there's not really brick and mortar stores that have all this stuff set up for for folks everywhere that you can just go in and try out a DJ turntable or try out, um, you know, an electric drum pad or, or something like that. And so just getting your hands on stuff is kind of like my magic wand pie in the sky thing. But, you know, that's nice. That's one of the nice reasons to go to conferences and have stuff like that set up for you to just get your hands on and, and play around with. Yeah. Like an instrument petting zoo at NISMA. I, we, yeah. We've done that in the past. It's uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, all the music stores in New York city, the ones that are on music row, they're all gone. Um, right. When you do go into a guitar center or, or Sam Ash, the minute you try something, you got a salesman right on, <laughs> like, you know, you're going to buy that. So it's, uh, you know, having some like free time and with nobody breathing over your neck would be really wonderful. I agree completely. And it's nice that my district allows me like a little bit of money to do that. Like the there's like a $150 drum pad that I found on Amazon that they bought for me. Like, here, try it out. Like if you want, if you want a couple more, we'll get them later. Like, I mean, just, it's nice that we can do that and we have the money to do that, but a lot of other districts do not. Correct. Well, Matt, absolutely fabulous chatting with you. I'm, I'm, I am very much hoping our paths at the conferences or, or even if I'm the next time I'm up in the Rochester area across, I'd, I'd love to, uh, to have a beer with you and, uh, and, and, uh, I'd love to see what you're doing with your students in your classroom. You're really, uh, you're really doing some great things up there, my friend. Well, thank you. And I would love to have that beer. There's some good places up here. <laughs> All right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely put it down in the calendar. All right. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. 
If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.